You can build a cob structure. And those yeah, are, like what, out of corn stuff? Uh, no, cob is uh, a <laughs> material that you get of corn. That would be awesome. <laughs> I had a I, I had a thought in my mind that we're using silage now to We're using corn cobs. Welcome to the Off-Grid Outpost Podcast, where we discuss the journey to real liberty through self-sufficiency, counter-economics, non-aggression, and the Agora. The Outpost represents the border between societal norm and the pioneer spirit. Every episode contains practical, philosophical, and technical information you can use to gain the freedom you deserve. Good morning, everyone. This is Regina with the Off-Grid Outpost podcast. I am here with my colleague, Cyrus. Good morning. And today we are talking about our third pillar of off-grid living, which is shelter. Yay. Yay for shelter. So we've kind of, I think we've found our stride with our podcast here. Uh, It took a little while, but uh, what we've been doing is we've been alternating uh, one episode a week of, you know, your informative off-grid living. And then our other episode for the week is more philosophical, theoretical, possibly a little opinionated. Political. <laughs> topics. Political. Mm-hmm. So Tuesdays are why you want to go off-grid. And Fridays are how you go off grid. And I think that, I think it's really worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I've been liking it. I think it's a a good structure. Yeah. So you can kind of, you know, if you're here just for the off grid stuff, then just listen on Fridays. But if you want to get a little wacky with us, you know, listen on Tuesdays, basically. Right. (laughs) So shelters, I think we all like them. I like to uh, get out of the weather when it's not good. Yeah, I think it's a uh, a pretty solid foundation of off-grid living. Mm-hmm. And personally, I don't want to just be in a sleeping bag under the stars every night. Right. Although here in Arizona, the stars are off the chain. And I would sleep in a sleeping bag like every night out here. <laughs> <laughs> Until the scorpions crawled into my sleeping bag, then, then I wouldn't be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the, when we talk about structure, probably the most important part about off-grid structures is, again, it, it all ties into the location and what are your resources in that location. Well, and in this day and age, you can order any material you want to ship wherever you are. Right. If you have the money. Right. So... If you live on a beach and you want a log cabin, yeah, you can make that happen nowadays with all these crazy logistical things we have. I mean, you can literally order a log cabin online. Right. But it's going to cost you. Mm Mm-hmm. So I would say in general, you know, people may not want to shell out that kind of expense while going off grid. You know, you're on a budget. You want to use what you have as opposed to paying for stuff that doesn't really make sense in your area. Right, because the local resources are going to be the most affordable. Mm-hmm. 
So. Well, and local resources match your weather and your your temperament, you know? Right. Uh, so if you're in South Texas and you want to build a metal structure, you're going to have a lot of rust and corrosion. So you may not want to do that. <laughs> right. Whereas if you build a log cabin out of lodgepole pine in Montana, I mean, those things are naturally going to resist snow and weather. Right. And the cold. So. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially if you're going to DIY it, you definitely want to use local DIY. stuff. It's going to be. Huh? <laughs> what Did I say it wrong? DIY it. I said DIY. Do, do, do yourself it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. I mean, you could do that all you want, but... Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, just calling you out on your... Little... Yeah. Calling you out. No worries. <laughs> no worries, but, you know... Okay, you... if you want to DIY it, sorry to interrupt your thought. Yeah, local resources are important because, you know, that's where you... That's where logistically things are going to make the most sense. Like, when where we used to live we had there was a lot of sandy soily areas and so to do something like an earth bag shelter would have been perfect because we could have dug up everything we needed to build right there on our property but then we moved here there's no way doing an earth bag shelter would be a terrible idea because if you stick your shovel in the ground here you get a rock every time you stick your shovel in the ground you know so it would take so you forever to fill bag, an earth bag. An earth bag shelter is basically sandbags, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. So they're long sandbags, and you fill them up with sand, and you just build walls, the walls and everything out of it. And they're real strong, and they're you know, excellent type shelter. But you wouldn't want to build one where I am here. So location right. matters. Yeah. Location definitely matters. So like, uh, you know, where you are now, we were talking earlier, you were talking about how much adobe there is there because it's a natural resource. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I went to a tombstone yesterday and yeah. all of the historical buildings are adobe and they're still standing. I'm sure that they've been somewhat renovated and protected over the years. Sure. But you can find adobe houses in the desert that are there's still four walls up maybe the roof is gone and they've lasted hundreds and hundreds of years so mm-hmm. it's pretty interesting the adobe right and then you go to montana and you'll find old mining towns hundreds of years old with no intervention of trying to save these structures and they're still standing and they're made all out of timber it's really cool mm-hmm. you can find square nails and stuff mm-hmm. i love square nails mm-hmm these hand poured nails really cool yeah you find those a lot remodeling old old properties yeah so in general you know the first thing people think of of going off grid is building a cabin mm-hmm. that cabin doesn't really need to be made out of lodgepole pine i mean you could technically make a cabin out of any material you want yeah it's kind of a generic term just meaning a little shelter in the woods, you know. Yep, shelter in the woods is basically what that is. But my cabin, I built it, uh, you know, with 
traditional dimensional lumber, two by fours, two by sixes, that kind of stuff. And uh, I still call it a cabin. Yeah, it's really nice. It's a nice little cabin from what I've seen. I've only seen like two pictures of it. but Well, you saw pictures of the parts that are completed. If you saw it whole, it doesn't look as nice because most of it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a construction process. It's a construction yeah. in process. So, and that's just because I do it. I do everything that I can with like salvaged materials and stuff like that. Yeah, which is really cool. So you probably try to get a lot of free or low cost materials off of maybe job sites that you go to. Yeah, job sites and uh, demolition work. There's a lot of ways to get. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to get salvaged materials. In fact, I I wrote an article about it on theoffgridmaker.com about. Oh, cool. Yeah, how to how to find free or cheap building materials. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. It sounds like a really good article. But yeah, there's lots of ways to get free and cheap material. Yeah. In Montana, you know, there's this huge movement towards uh, salvaging old barn wood, which is now, like, insanely expensive. Because all the rich people want to use that cool, rustic barn wood in their, in their builds now. So, yeah. But there was a time where it wasn't very expensive. Mm-hmm. But you could look at when you're, you know, going to purchase an off-grid property you could find existing structures and maybe salvage off of existing structures. Yeah. And you can build and you can still get that old barn wood cheap. I mean, you find a property that has an old dilapidated barn. That's come. You just go knock on the door and you talk to them and Hey, I'll tear that barn down for you. If I can keep the wood. And most people don't care about the fact that, or a lot of people I would imagine don't even know that you can sell a barn wood, board for like 30 bucks you know and they're just going to let you tear it down and take it because it's an eyesore for them well and that also fits into uh our off-grid income idea sure yeah salvaging old uh barn wood and like people are really into the old um like fixtures the metal uh Mm -hmm. oh man i'm not very good with these terms uh like doorknobs and right. locks and uh, antique what the hell stuff. Is it when you put, yeah, what do you, what is the damn thing when you put it on the door and you open and close the door? <laughs> what is it called? The hinge. The hinge. Oh okay. My God. Yeah. It's not my brain's not synopsing too quickly today. <laughs> Hinges, handles, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You can salvage and resell or, and use yourself and all that stuff that was made like way back in the day. It lasts so much longer. Holy moly. They built, they built stuff to last back then. Yeah. And, you know, you can sell those. Yeah, you remember those old glass doorknobs? Have you seen those? Oh, yeah. Some of them are glass. Some of them are porcelain. Yeah. Yeah. You, you demo some of that out of an old structure and you can sell those one at a time on eBay. Heck like yeah. five, ten bucks a and piece. A pretty penny. Yeah. I'm sure there's collectibles too within that whole range. You know, high dollar collectibles for certain makers and stuff. It's like, I don't know. There's so much, there's so many things I want to do in life. I just can't decide. <laughs> 
Yeah. Like, I would love to just make a business like that. Right. Tearing down, salvaging, and reselling. It just sounds like so much fun. Yeah, and you could use that business to build your cabin. Like, keep the stuff that you want, use it in your cabin, sell the rest. Yeah. What a cool idea. I love that. So, another uh, structure that's really had a big uh, kind of movement is uh, tiny homes. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people are going minimalist. Yeah, people are over the junk. Like, in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was all about how much you could accumulate and how big your house is. And now we're starting to revert away into the minimalist lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, However, freaking tiny homes are expensive. I guess it really just depends on what you get. Yeah, I guess they can be really expensive if you just buy them. Mm-hmm. If you buy a prefab tiny home, all wood, you know, nice fixtures and things, you're looking at, I mean, I saw some that were like 60 grand, 70 grand, and they're beautiful. I mean, they're just stunning, but mm-hmm. holy moly, that's a lot of money. Yeah, but you can build your own tiny home too. I mean, if you're the handy type person, um, and there's tons of videos online about how to do that. And again, you yeah. can salvage materials to do that also. You can make them mobile, build them on a trailer, or you can, you know, build them in yeah. place. You can buy a uh, you can buy a, sh- a pre-built shed and turn it into a little cabin. The the spectrum of tiny home is huge. Right. I mean, you don't have to get a $60,000 luxury tiny home. But right. if you are making it mobile, you have to be aware that they get heavy really fast. If you're mm-hmm. using like solid wood, so right, you're not going to be pulling it around with like a Tacoma. No, you can build a twenty foot tiny home that weighs fifteen thousand pounds, mm-hmm. easy, <laughs> dry weight. So right. you have to take that into consideration. That's when you're better off. I mean, if you're going to be mobile, the the RVs, that's really the way to go anymore. I think. Yeah, RV, camper, schoolie, all of those. Those are all good yeah. choices. Yeah, well, they're just built so light. I mean, you can really live in a camper that weighs 4,000, 5,000 pounds, and that you can tow with your Tacoma. Mm-hmm. Or even a Jeep, you know. Although Jeeps aren't the greatest for towing. I wouldn't necessarily... You could tow like a pod with a Jeep, something that, and that's ultralight class. Yeah, and they've got some really cool stuff in the ultralight class, too. Holy moly. They've got like... There is some cool stuff coming out. They've got like off-road campers, you know, campers that are made to, like, be pulled with a Jeep and get into somewhere that you wouldn't normally be able to get into. They're pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I've seen some really cool stuff. I saw, uh, Someone converted, so they had a deuce and a half, and they converted the back shell area into a off-grid camper, basically. Nice. Okay, so you can roll around in your big, badass deuce and a half <laughs> and go right. quite a few places. You know, but that's a pretty big that's a pretty big vehicle to take on some of these off-grid roads. That is big. <laughs> that's a these... zombie yeah. apocalypse vehicle. Hell yeah, it was badass. <laughs> <laughs> Just an idea. Mm-hmm. 
And then, you know, you've got the kind of the alternative side of structures, um, earth, sh- earth shelters, earth ships, uh, which are really yeah. cool. But they're kind of alternative. So what is an earth ship exactly? It's kind of like you're now you're dipping your toe into Hippieville. And I yeah. might have been people saying that, but it is kind of like. It is kind of Hippieville, yeah. It's Hippieville to do earth ships. So an earth ship is basically a self autonomous self-contained vessel where you do everything like everything gets recycled and reused and renewed through a system right right you're you're recycling your gray water the heating and cooling is predominantly passive um you're using recycled materials like old tires and uh they're pretty cool i like them yeah well, and there's like Earthship communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. So you have a bunch of people coming together in this Earthship community, and I imagine that they build individual structures to do individual things as a community. Yeah, I'm not real familiar with it, but that would make sense. Yeah. Or you could have your own fully self-contained autonomous Earthship in the middle of nowhere and be by yourself and handle all of the tasks. Mm-hmm. But I think a community Earthship deal would be your best bet because then you can have like one large community garden and you can have some sort of uh, septic sewage system combined and your heating and cooling system can all kind of be woven together. Yeah. Yeah, I think community is probably good in any of those situations, really. Yeah, that's kind of how we're like meant to live is in a community. Yeah, you take even in even in your uh, nomadic lifestyle, when you get to where you're going, it's kind of like a community, right? It really depends. It really depends. Some RV parks are very community driven. Some RV parks, everyone just keeps to themselves. Mm. It, uh, I know KOA is it, very expensive. I mean, I wouldn't do the KOA circuit, but a lot of people do, and you get a lot of community building in KOAs. And then some RV parks, no one wants anything to do with each other. Yeah. <laughs> so, but there's a lot of um, nomadic groups online where you can connect with people, and I bet and I haven't explored this too heavily, but I bet you can find a nomadic group where people kind of meet and travel together. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But I think that in our modern day structure, like our shelter structures in modern day, like kind of negate community building because now we're just so able to get what we need on our own by going to the grocery store, having municipal water system, things like that, that people have almost stopped community building so much because you can just be fully self-sufficient. Or not self-sufficient, but artificially independent. Mm-hmm. But if shit, if shit were to hit the fan, you would need a community to be comfortable. Because doing it yourself i mean you can and people homestead and do it themselves fully autonomously it would be uncomfortable though yeah uh, i i just think communities are important just for 
our species, I think we're, I think we're built that way. We're community-driven species, like, you know, the natives and their little communities and their teepees and, and things like that. Because mm -hmm. you can't do it all. You know, you can't be the milker and the shoemaker and the candlestick maker and grow all your own food and preserve it. It would be a lot. Yeah. It would be a lot of work for a single family unit unless you had like a bunch of kids and uncles and aunts and grandmas living in one big property maybe you could make your fully autonomous system yeah they i think people you take the pioneers they did a lot themselves but they also did without a lot too and yeah if you're gonna go it alone you have to do without a lot of things i think well, you just, right. You just can't do it all. And I think that's why towns and things like that inevitably spring up. Places where people can at least go to meet and trade and things like that. Yeah, it's a method of survival. And so we've kind of gotten out of touch with that. So when you're choosing your off-grid location and your shelter and things like that, it's kind of something to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. You may not want to be, you know, 50 miles deep into the Montana wilderness when building your off-grid shelter. Well, it's definitely going to be harder to go it alone. I mean, if that's what you want, yeah. you just you just got to know it's going to be tougher. So what else we got? We talked about the earth ship, earth bag shelter, schoolies, all of those. Yeah. Rammed earth is a... It's kind of like, you know how when you're on the beach and you take wet sand and you build a sandcastle? Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like that, except, I mean, you're packing these, you build a form, which will be the wall, and you mix like a, a certain proportion of sand to clay, and then you pack it into this form and it becomes like a brick. It dries really oh. hard and it's like a brick. In fact, I started to build one where we used to live, but we ended up moving before I finished it. And oh wow! Yeah, it was pretty cool. And but but that's again that's a location specific type of shelter because you've got to have access to a lot of sand and clay that you can mm. mix up to get your proportions right. And uh, but if you're in a place where there is a lot of sand and clay, man, that's a cheap way to do it. It's all labor. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. A lot of labor. A lot You'll of get labor. buff. I mean, that's a nice side effect. Right. <laughs> so that's what rammed earth is. And there's tons of information about that online. Wow. And then I imagine the cooling and heating effects would be really great. Right. Like in the summer, it'd be cool. And in the winter, it'd be warm. It'd easier to keep warm and easier to keep cool. Right. Well, and that's another idea is to build subterranean structure. Mm -hmm. Like out here in the desert. Man, I think it'd behoove you to dig yourself a hole and put your shelter in there, which could be on the side of a hill. That's probably the easiest way. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a berm structure. Or just digging straight down and plopping in a, shoot, you could plop in a container, a truck. What do they call those trucking containers? Yeah, the connexes. Yeah, plop Shipping a connex in. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Something along those lines. I mean, if anything, 
building a root cellar to shelter your food is a great idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Again. And then you get great heating and cooling effects. Even right. if you put your shelter halfway down in the ground, you're going to have symbiosis. Right. And that's it. that's location specific, too. You know, like around here, you don't want to live underground. The water table's yeah. too high. It's too wet all the time. You're going to be fighting water right. trying to get in to where you are. But all of this is so much dependent on your location, if you think about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It definitely is. Like in North Dakota, we worked out there for quite a while. And so North Dakota was glaciated from Canada. So these massive glaciers moved tons of stone into North Dakota. And every year it'll freeze and thaw and farmers will have to go and take out all these massive boulders that literally like sprout out of the ground. They like grow out of the ground <laughs> because that thaw pushes up huge boulders every year. And so you have these beautiful you know, glaciated stones that are all smooth. And so back in the day, they built these beautiful stone structures. Right. You know, all of their homes were stone. Cool. Because you literally, you literally sprout stones every year and you, in your field. You just never run out of stone. You never do. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah, I was, uh, when we first moved here, I heard it an ad on the radio for stone like people were they have this radio station that has like a every sunday you it's like a call in classified deal where you call in and you tell them what you've got for sale or what you're looking for or whatever and this and mm -hmm. this guy was selling stones and i thought man I, I mean why would anyone buy stone around here like they're literally you can't step a foot without running into stone you know but apparently right. people will buy it i guess to save the labor rather than walking around picking it up you can just go buy some yeah yeah that's got to be what it is people just don't want to or you you want a certain specific size or shape or color yeah and they have it all nicely ready to go for you for your dimensions but personally i would want to pick out my own stone mm -hmm. you know You'd have to rent a little skid steer and have a pulley system to collect your stones, probably, depending on how big they are. But Right. You know, that's all solvable. And it just makes me wonder, like, how did these people back then, when they didn't have machinery, you know, how did they build some of this stuff is really beyond me. They That'd were, be interesting to kind of look into. They were hard people. They were hardcore, mm -hmm. and I think they used, like, pulley systems. They had to. Mm -hmm. Winching systems to, to move stone. Yep. So that'd be kind of interesting to look into traditional old-school ways of, like, moving heavy materials, heavy building materials, and making these cabins and stone houses and things like that. Right. Just kind of an interesting thought. Yeah. So I guess next on the list is cob. You can build a cob structure. And those yeah, are, like what, out of corn stuff? 
Uh, no, cob is uh, a material <laughs> that you kind of corn. That would be awesome. <laughs> I had a I, I had a thought in my mind that we're using silage now to we're using corn cobs. Cob is actually yeah. a term for uh, a mixture of mud and straw, and you okay. you build like a wall out of sticks and you kind of lattice it together, and then you cover it with this mud mixture with straw mixed in and uh and it dries and it's hard and you know there's only certain climates you could do that too yeah like you could do cob where you are you would not want to do cob where i am interesting yeah straw bale houses are getting more and more popular where people i mean there's a lot to a straw bale house but the basic idea is you just stack straw bales on top of each other and then you coat both sides of the straw bales with um, like a stucco or even cob. You could use cob, but you coat the inside and the outside with a substance that's going to dry hard. And then you've got this, I think they're 14 inches wide straw bales mostly. So you've got this really thick, nicely insulated wall. Oh, that's so insulated. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that'll help you with heating and cooling for sure. So if you live in farm country, straw bales is a inexpensive way to go. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If you have access to a lot of straw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's cordwood, which is basically just uh, cutting up logs into whatever length it just has to be a uniform length like 12 inches and you're stacking them kind of like brick and uh you the mortar you use can be a cob can be mud can be concrete and you're filling it with your on the edges of the log you're using like concrete and then you're filling the cavity with sawdust insulation Mm. and those I like them I think they're really cool looking and so if you're in a place that's heavily wooded where you could cut up a whole bunch of wood cord wood uh, you could build a structure that way sweet lots of information online um I'd like to talk about maybe a little bit of survival shelters maybe more short-term structures um that could be long-term structures. Mm-hmm. So you could, you know, like while you're building maybe your main structure, you have a more survivalish type shelter like a teepee mm-hmm. that you can live in. And if you build a teepee soundly, that's a permanent, that could be a permanent home. Yeah, cool. You could also take it down and move it as well, which is, you know why the Indians did it or the Native Americans did it because mm-hmm. they could be nomadic and set up their teepees and take them down and follow the bison and yeah exactly mm-hmm. you know and these the natives were living in North Dakota in freaking teepees and staying warm so they are really warm holy moly when you make it with your animal hides mm. for the walls you just yeah, that'd need be three really cool. long poles. It would be really cool. 
I've always wanted to do the teepee thing. And then a yurt is, oh man, I have been wanting to live in a yurt for a while. Yeah, those are pretty nice and much more durable yeah. than you would think. That hardcore canvas mm -hmm. structure. And I mean, you can go through winters. You can go through Montana winters in a yurt. You'll stay warm. You can take them down, set them up, move them. But they can also be permanent. You can give them a foundation. Mm -hmm. And they aren't that expensive in relation to the world of building. So I've not uh, looked. I've not looked into the cost of them. Have you? How much are they? Do you know? I want to say you can get into a basic yurt for like five grand. That's four not five bad. Grand. It's like ready to move into once you set it up. Exactly. And that can be your full-time off-grid living quarters, or that can be for a few years while you're building your beautiful cabin or whatever you're building. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you're uh, looking to build an off-grid structure, maybe looking into historical structures like unusual things like teepees, wigwams, uh, mound houses and stuff. See how people did it back then in the old days before we had all these amenities. I think that would behoove you to find something that will work in your area and really help you with like the heating and cooling effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, if you can find out what people did 200 years ago in your specific location, that's automatically going to tell you what kind of resources are available. Yeah, and what works well for your climate. Right. You just don't want to go against the grain. I feel like if you go against the grain on this and you try and do something really sleek and modern and different, you might it might end up being a regrettable choice. Because well, you might end up having unforeseen issues. Yeah, and it's just going to be more expensive than it has to be, too. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's, we kind of covered a basic rundown of structures and it's really just going to require, you know, the individual to do their own research, but we just wanted to touch on kind of some different options and I'm sure there's lots more out there that we've missed, but, um, this is one of the pillars. It's a, it's an important step in figuring out how you're going to go off grid. And so we wanted to touch on it. Yeah. Well, and. I think we gave a lot of really cool ideas for people to look up. Mm -hmm. Like the cordwood home, those are badass. They look cool. They'd be fun to build. You could do it for cheap. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these different things. Just different ideas for you to throw around. Right. Yeah, we'd love to hear feedback from you. If you have built an off-grid structure, if you're planning to build an off-grid structure, if you'd maybe like a little bit of advice... You can email us at Regina at the com or Cyrus at the com. We've updated our emails. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we both read each other's emails, so it all goes into the same inbox. So it really doesn't <laughs> right. matter which one you write to. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, we both you see You can leave all. us a voice message as well. Like, I'm waiting for our first voice message. We haven't gotten any yet, so someone's got to leave us a voice message. Right. The link is in the show notes. And visit theoffgridoutpost.com. We wrote a book, uh, e-booked on how to start a stealth business using counter-economics. Yeah, it's awesome. Something great for uh, combining with your off-grid lifestyle. 
Yeah, you can uh, visit the website. Yeah, for sure. Visit the website, grab our free PDF, and sign up for our newsletter that uh, is going to be coming out soon. So, a lot of cool stuff on cool. the website. More and more all yeah. the time. Yeah, we're constantly adding to the treasure trove of knowledge. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, this is Regina signing out, and we will see you or hear from you again on Tuesday. Talk to you later. Peace. Here's a little teaser for what's coming next week. I mean, nobody has a belief system that is 100% right because we're human and we don't know everything. So you can't know what is right all the time, but you can eliminate contradictions in your thought pattern. And that's what, for me, was so attractive to agorism is that they're just, I can't find any contradictions in its philosophy. Thanks for listening to the Off Grid Outpost podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe so you can get all the new episodes.